Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information that you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. A trigger warning. This episode includes a graphic description of a car accident. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We are here with Anisha Gangotra, and Anisha is the sister of Trishna Baradia, who's been on the show before. Um, We've also got an episode coming up with the two of them. And um, Anisha is an inclusive dance instructor, which she's going to tell us about, and she lives with chronic illness and mental health issues that she also advocates for. So, Anisha, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. So why don't we start from the very beginning? Can you tell us, I know you you live with various forms of illness, so this will sort of be an umbrella to cover them all, but when and how did you first realize that you were sick with these concerns and what steps have you taken to control your health? So it really started for me in 2008. Mm. Um, And that was when I started to experience symptoms, which I would later be diagnosed um, with colitis, which is one of the main forms of inflammatory bowel disease. Um, That's alongside Crohn's. So you have Crohn's and you have colitis, um, which under the umbrella are termed inflammatory bowel disease. Mm. So in 2008, um, my first symptom actually, so I went to the bathroom and Uh, you know went to flush the toilet as you do and I noticed that there was blood in the bowl Mm. and I thought okay that's not normal um you know what's going on here Mm. so I went to see it was obviously off your cycle too so it wasn't like you were menstruating and yeah yeah no uh, yeah absolutely so um I made an appointment to see my family doctor Mm. which you know obviously there's lots there could be lots of different reasons for you know uh, passing blood mm. uh, and you know it it's I suppose that was the start of my journey it wasn't a straightforward diagnosis mm. so I saw various doctors went to various hospitals there were various terms bandied about of which to be honest I didn't really understand they were never actually explained to me you know this is what we're talking about this is what it means Um, I suppose it was the first time for me personally where I was really having to use 
the healthcare system in what I would say quite an intense way. Right. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, you know, the, with, with, in terms of symptoms, so with, with colitis, essentially what happens is you have periods where the disease is active, which is what we call a flare up. Yep. And then periods where you are in remission, so where the disease um, isn't active. So essentially, you know, there isn't any inflammation that we're aware of. Hmm. So in terms of what the actual condition is, so colitis is an autoimmune condition. So essentially what happens is my immune system thinks there's something wrong in the body. And the body's way and, you know, the, the immune system's way of reacting is to then cause inflammation because that's our sign that something, you know, something is wrong. Yeah. What happens in colitis is that inflammation um, is within the gut. So mm. what happens is the lining of my bowels become inflamed and become ulcerated. Mm. Uh, and that's kind of where then obviously the blood comes in because of the ulcers and the inflammation of the lining mm. but there's also a whole host of other symptoms so things like diarrhea um bowel urgency severe stomach cramps I get back pain I suffer with fatigue mm. um, and then you can also get um symptoms which you wouldn't necessarily associate with the gut so for example you know people with Crohn's or colitis can actually get inflammation of the eyes for example, or inflammation wow. of the joints. Wow. So there's a whole host of symptoms. Mm. Um, and I went through kind of a number of years where this was happening on and off. And it's, it's a bit of an odd one because, you know, when you're feeling fine, you sort of think, well, was I just imagining it? Did, oh, I, God, just, yeah. you know, did I just have a stomach bug? Mm. Or, you know, was the pain really that bad? You know, when, when, when it's kind of gone. You start questioning your own sanity, don't you? You really do. Because yeah. again, it's sort of, you know, you can always put it down to something. Maybe it's a bit of irritable bowel syndrome. Maybe I ate something dodgy. Maybe yeah. I've got a bug. Um, but these symptoms, essentially, they, they carried on in a cycle. So um, it took a couple of years until eventually I, um, I saw the consultant who I'm currently seeing. Mm. Who, um, and this is the in, consultant as well. You travel pretty far to get to see I do. Story, so right? I do. So I travel 80 miles uh, round trip to yeah. see this consultant. Now, this consultant is someone who's recommended to me. Yeah. which is part of the reason why I travel. Um, but also within the hospital where I'm seen, not only do I have a consultant who is a specialist in this area, but there are also specialist nurses as well. Mm. For me over the years, so I was diagnosed, essentially my symptoms started in 2008 and I essentially take that as the year I was diagnosed because, you know, it was sort of, a little bit here, a little bit there. You know, there, I suppose there wasn't really a definitive date. Mm. Um, but it really it actually took two years. It was 2010 when I eventually got to see this consultant. Mm. And, you know, I remember being in that appointment and, you know, she was asking me about my symptoms. So, you know, uh, what's been going on? And, you know, there's quite standard questions that they ask. So how many times are you, you know, having a bowel you know, bowel movement, uh, what's the consistency, are you passing blood, um, what other symptoms do you have? And I remember explaining things to her and 
she at that point she said to me yes it sounds like colitis Mm. Um, obviously I would need to have tests so for example colonoscopy to see well you know how far is it and you know again there is different types of colitis depending on what part of the the colon is affected Mm. but I remember at that point her saying to me this is a lifelong condition Mm. we have to manage your symptoms and I think that was the first time it actually hit me this isn't just going to go away. This isn't yeah. just going to be cured. Um, but also the relief, you know, mm-hmm. there was a huge amount of relief in terms of being told this is what it is and we're going to put a plan in place to see what we can do. And for the first time, I actually felt like a doctor had heard me mm. and I broke down in tears because I I actually just felt like I had been listened to, yeah. which was a huge thing for me. You know, it was massive, um, you know, with the experiences that I'd had. So, so, you know, with various doctors prior to that, you know, at one point the doctors, you know, said to me, well, we don't think there's anything wrong with you. So we want to discharge you. Um, I was sent to a hospital to have a colonoscopy with no preparation, mm. no sedation. <gasps> oh God. Yeah. There was no, I wasn't offered any sedation. The whole procedure wasn't explained to me. That was my first experience. Of oh, COVID. that's dreadful. Um, of which obviously they couldn't, you know, they really struggled to perform it. And bear in mind, you know, I had inflammation of the bowel. So if you put anything there, you know, obviously it's hugely, you know, sore. You know, and sore yeah. So, you know, that whole experience, you know, really was really quite difficult. And actually, you know, kind of going forwards it made me feel like but I don't want to have these done you know it was awful it was horrible and very invasive too without preparation hugely invasive I mean you know even when all the nurses and doctors are great you know I've had you know but plenty of colonoscopies and sigmoidoscopies you know over the years now and when you know even when they're lovely and you know all the preparation is done and you know it's still not pleasant no I kind of call it my internal photo shoot. Um, (laughs) It's all, you know, all the, all the, the laxative preparation is, you know, me, you know, making sure I'm nice and clean and, you know, all that kind of thing. If only I had to do my makeup and my hair and everything. (laughs) But yeah, so it's, 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 you know, it's hard enough when everything goes well, let alone when, you know, when actually it's not done right, Mm. you know, and that is your first experience. Um, you know, and I was only sort of 24, 25 at the time. Yeah. Um, so that in itself was was pretty traumatizing. Yeah. But, you know, and, and that's one of the reasons why now, you know, I do travel to see a specialist consultant. I have the specialist nurses who I can, you know, leave a message for and, that you know, they'll phone me back or I can drop them an email. You know, they're usually my first port of call now with anything to do with my colitis. And even if it's, you know, so I went traveling, um, you know, I decided to, to take five months off and go traveling to South America. You know, my IBD nurses were my first port of call to say, right, this is what I'm going to do. What are the, you know, this is what I'm thinking in terms of preparation, what I should take with me, you know, but they were my first port of call to actually discuss, 
okay, how might it affect me? What things can I put in place? How can I prepare? What can I make sure I've got when I'm there? Mm. You know, do I need to book in a um, an appointment with you once I get back as a, you know, check-in to see how is everything going? Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's tough. You know, it, it is tough traveling that far, but I'm also privileged that I'm able to do that, to get the healthcare and to see my consultant who you know, has been brilliant. I've been with her now for, you know, nine years. And I've kind of joked with her saying she's never allowed to leave the hospital. And if she does, then I'm following her to wherever she goes. You know, so yeah. so I hope she moves to a tropical island somewhere. <laughs> so I can move to a tropical island as well. Yeah, that sounds nice. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's uh so so that I suppose that was my my first sort yeah. of condition. Right. The, the you know chronic long-term health condition mm-hmm. and again you know I was 24 you know I was starting out in my career so you also you know kind of trying to manage all these things you know have a social life have yeah. your career manage these symptoms um you know it was all it was all you know it was pretty tough yeah. you know it, it was it was pretty hard going but again, you know, I found ways to cope. So in the short term, long term, so, you know, coping through uh, managing my food, for example, you know, in the short term. So when I'm having a flare up, what are the things I can do in terms of for me personally with my food, um, you know, making sure I'm trying to get enough rest, mm. you know, disturb sleep, you know, getting up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, yeah. um, you know, all those kinds of things. So you know, over the years, you build up a lot of experience. And also, you know, listening to other people, meeting other people who have the condition, being able to share your tips and experience as well is a really valuable, you know, it's a really valuable thing. You know, there is a community out there, which is really positive. Mm. Um, so, so I suppose, yeah, that was kind of my sort of my first claim to fame in terms of here's a chronic illness and I'm flying the banner, you know. Like here's your first one. <laughs> Because yeah. you're so lucky, you have more than one. Oh, I, I know it's it's just wonderful. It really <laughs> is. Um, so yeah, so so that was in 2008 when mm. I was 24, and then in 2011 when I was 27, mm. I was involved in a high speed car accident. Mm. So it was all pretty traumatic. Um, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't my fault. I was just kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm. I was driving along a dual carriageway. So the speed limit is around 70 miles an hour. Mm. Well, the speed limit is 70 miles an hour, but, but you know, people traveling up to, up to that speed. Mm. And I was driving along one side of the carriageway and another car driving in the opposite direction mm-hmm. for some reason, and we don't know, you know, why what happened or, or why, um, completely lost control of, of the car. And it's basically span over, so flipped over the central reservation into the air. And then the first thing I knew of anything happening was literally seeing this car up in the sky it was literally up in the sky flying towards me and me just thinking what do I do do I slam the brakes on you know to see if I can stop the car before it lands or do I try and hit the accelerator to try and speed under it um whatever I did I didn't miss it 
it, mm. it hit me. So essentially it, it landed on my bonnet and rolled over my car. Wow. Um, you know, and actually, I, you know, I, I think I'm very lucky because if, if that had, you know, slightly different angle, gone through yeah. my windscreen, I mean, you know, she was probably traveling around 70-ish miles an hour as well. So, you know, when you kind of think about the impact, yeah, uh, you know, and I can still see it, in, you know, I can still see it in, in my mind. It's, you know, it's actually something that you would kind of see from Fast and Furious, you know. Like you're Some, seeing it in slow motion as it plays back for you. Yeah 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 actually yeah it, it does it's strange it does play in slow motion mm. um and it felt like everything was in slow motion even though it was probably no more than a couple of seconds um but it was some you know it looked like some crazy stunt you would see and think oh don't be ridiculous you know that would never happen um you know and I remember kind of dragging myself out of the car kind of you know, waiting for, you know, Vin Diesel or Dwayne Johnson to come and rescue me, you know. It's a little more worth it, right? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, yeah, exactly. I was like, some handsome man is going to come and rescue me. And, you know, and, uh, you know, and I was very lucky. There were, you know, there were paramedics, the police Mm -hmm. were there, the fire. And you were able to get out of the car, which is like. Yeah, so, so, yeah. And I mean, literally it it was, it was really surreal because Mm -hmm. it was like this instinct kicked yeah. in so I remember thinking so I was driving along and I was wearing my glasses mm. uh, while I was driving they had flown off on the impact because the airbags had gone off mm. so I remember thinking okay I need to find my glasses so whilst I was trying to find my glasses I realized I could smell smoke mm. and I thought okay that smoke has got to be coming from my car yeah so if there is smoke, there's a possibility that there could also be one, my car could could be on fire, but two, yeah. if there's fuel around, then that's it. You're looking at an explosion. So you were so, like, you got to get out. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, luckily I found my glasses. I don't quite know how I did, but I, you know, I found my glasses and, and just went, I need to get out of here. Mm. Um, I had no idea if I had any injuries that didn't even cross my mind. It was literally, I need to get out of this, of this car. So I tried, I remember I tried the driver's door, Mm. um, and it was completely jammed, which I hadn't realized that was actually from the impact of the car. So that was jammed. So I kind of went, I can't get out. What am I going to do? So I climbed between the, the passenger seat and the driver's seat in that little gap, I managed to climb through there, open the back door, which did open, and basically just crawled along the road to, you know, to the central reservation. Um, but then also I was aware that, hang on a minute, there are going to be cars coming down this dual carriageway. Yeah. So if I'm in the middle of the central reservation, then what's going to happen? Mm. But I was very lucky because the police were the police were there. They stopped the traffic. Everything got cordoned off. Um, and then I started worrying, going, oh, my gosh, all these poor people are going to be really late for, for work. <laughs> I so, love that that's what you were thinking about. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was, I could see the, like, the traffic building up because they diverted the traffic. Mm-hmm. And I remember sat there and, you know, I had someone looking after me. There were some paramedics there. They were wanting to put a neck brace on me and everything. And I remember literally sitting there going, 
all those poor people are pro- you know probably worried that they're going to miss a train or they're going to be late to work and and you know and I'm sat here and you know it's all because this has happened you know kind of thing and and survivor's some, guilt right yeah okay, absolutely do you know what absolutely I think it I think it really was and I think that actually that stayed with me for, for quite a long time yeah um so I mean from obviously from the accident you know the impact I had physical injuries I was mm. hugely lucky that I it was all soft tissue injuries. Oh, wow. So okay. literally no broken bones, no life-changing physical injuries. It really was a miracle. I mean, the emergent services, um, so I was taken to hospital and obviously checked and, and scanned and everything. But the emergency services spoke to my parents and, you know, they said, we are so thankful because we saw the carnage and we were expecting to literally just be pulling out bodies. Wow, you know, from it. So the fact that I one I survived, but two with no, you know, no life injuries, yeah, was was huge. Um, but even in terms of soft tissue injuries, it took a good few years to recover from. Wow. a long, long time to recover. Um, and and literally, so literally overnight. I got to experience what it was like to almost basically lose all your strength. Mm. So I was struggling to be able to get dressed. I needed help getting in and out of bed. Um, I couldn't cut up my food, you know, and you think, well, it doesn't take that much strength to cut, you know, to cut some food. But actually when, when you don't have that, you realize just how much of your body you use for the most simple tasks that we actually take for granted. Yeah. Um, and I was very lucky. My family were, were brilliant. You know, they really helped to take care of me. Um, I started having rehab. So, um, you know, I was having physiotherapy. Um, and, and, you know, that, that was, you know, really important for my, you know, physical rehabilitation. What I didn't realize was that I was then going to go on to develop post-traumatic stress disorder. Yep. And then I also suffered with depression and anxiety as well so I think I you know I was so focused on kind of my physical rehab I wasn't really paying attention to anything else yeah um you know I just thought well it's normal to jump every time I hear a sound it's normal to um you know uh not really want to get into a car it's normal to have bad dreams Mm. um and actually it took it took time for me to to kind of realize and also to to get a diagnosis as well um and then go on to you know obviously have treatment right but you know even in terms of some of my triggers so you know smoke smelling smoke if someone was having barbecue or something you know the smell was a really strong trigger for me because of the smoke that had been coming from my car yeah um you know sound so like if someone would like you know finish a, a fizzy drinks you know, can and then crush it, you know, some people they crush it, they throw it in, you know, in the dustbin, that sound would trigger Mm. in me because that sounded like the crushing metal of the cars from the impact. So it all makes very direct sense. The the connections are very direct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And, and it was strange because, you know, a lot of, for example, a lot of dreams I was having, weren't always necessarily to do with a car accident mm. it would be something else bad happening right something else catastrophic 
yeah absolutely mm. so so there yeah it, it was it was it, it was very strange for me because I'd never experienced anything like this before um and I've been through other you know I've been through other sort of what you were classes sort of traumatic events mm. but had never actually experienced you know post-traumatic stress disorder this was the first time so I went on to have some therapy um, I had a couple of different types of therapy because um, the first couple of, you know, sort of therapy, you know, I had sort of two sessions of the same type of therapy didn't really work for me. Oh, um, interesting. In terms of, well, in terms of, you know, it helped me to manage some of the anxiety better, but it actually wasn't getting rid of the symptoms or the triggers for mm, me. Sure. So I obviously I went on to have a different type of therapy, which, you know, hugely helped me. And what do you mind telling us what kind of therapy that was? That yeah. Really helped? yeah. So, yeah. So I had um, cognitive behavioral therapy mm-hmm. to begin with, and I had two lots of this therapy um, around two years apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, what I found for me personally um, was that, you know, yes, when my anxiety was triggered, there were techniques that then helped me to reduce that quicker, but I was still getting triggered. Um, and we know that cognitive behavioral therapy can be really effective for post-traumatic stress disorder, yes. but different for different, you know, for different people. Um, and for me personally, in this circumstance, it didn't help me to address the actual triggers mm. that I was experiencing. I then went on to have a therapy called um, EMDR. I was waiting for you to say that. I thought to myself, it must be EMDR because we did an episode on this quite a while ago. And it's just a wonderful therapy, especially for PTSD. Absolutely. So so EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Hmm. So the way that it it really helps is that what you do is you go back into the memory Hmm. And then what, you know, so the therapist, there are different ways the therapist may do this. Some may use their finger, some may use a light. And essentially you have to follow it from left to right. Mm. And the reason that's done is because it's about engaging both sides of the brain. Mm. Because when we have memories, our brain processes those memories. It's essentially like we have filing system. So everything gets filed, you process it and it gets filed accordingly. And then you can recall the memories when you want to and the happy memories and, you know, or even difficult memories, you can recall them, but it won't necessarily trigger things. Mm. But unfortunately with post-traumatic stress disorder, very often what happens is the memory hasn't been processed correctly. It's almost like it's stuck. Yeah. So that therapy is around reprocessing that memory. Um, and I, you know, I went into it hopeful, mm. but also with an, a little element of cynicism as sure. well, um, because I, you know, I didn't really know a huge amount about it. I'd done a bit of research. But for me, it, it was it was life changing. Mm. You know, it really was, uh, you, you know, and, and and this was, you know, so I had this. Uh, so I started that therapy, it was what, four years after the accident. That, so that's how long I'd been living with my wow. symptoms for, um, you know, and, and, and I didn't, you know, I didn't believe that that was how it had to be. I didn't believe that that was going to be how my life had to be forevermore. 
you know yeah. I didn't believe there was something out there I just didn't know what it was I, or I didn't know what would work for me mm. um so so yeah I mean I was hugely thankful that that you know it made a huge difference for me mm. but it was tough you know I spent a good four years living with symptoms you know so flashbacks triggers and um, a huge amount of anxiety I also had depression as well so um, you know, I, I remember literally just being in a complete black hole and just not knowing mm. you know, w- what the way out was, you know, and there were times when I genuinely thought there isn't a way out of this. Right. I can't see how anything is going to get better. Mm. Um, you know, and, and, and that, that was really tough. It was tough for me to feel that way, yeah. particularly because, you know, I suppose my philosophy in life had always been, but there's always a way, there's always hope. And for the first time in my life, I truly felt that there wasn't. Mm. And that was a really scary place for me. Yeah. Um, and it was but also, this also, this ended up turning your entire career around too, for the better. Yeah, um, yeah, it did. You were on one career path and then this happened and it's, you're now on a career path and that you're working in mental health because of it, aren't yeah. you? I am so so yeah it's everything changed for me my priorities what made me feel happy what I felt uh was worthwhile yeah um and I suppose what really gave me a feeling of self-worth and 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 that feeling of well this has happened to me Mm. it's been pretty awful you know I'm not gonna lie it was not just for me, but you know, my family and the impact it had on my family because you know these these conditions they don't just impact that one person; they impact everyone around you. Mm. Um, you know, even my friends could see it. Mm. Um, but yeah, essentially, I just kind of went, well, you know what, this has happened to me. There must be something that I can do with this. There must be something good that can come out of it, not just for me, but in a way that I can also support other people um so you know I've been working in the corporate world you know it was great you get lots of perks you work very hard um you know a good salary yeah Uh, and and now yeah I work in mental health um so I I work with people um who have mental health issues but need support around their employment Mm. Um, because you know we know that employment is actually really key for people mm. who have mental health issues or a long-term illness or, or disability um, and I just went do you know I have to give it a go you know I, I, I need to see if I can do this and I love what I do and not only do I love what I do but I know that my experiences make me better at what I do because when I get people saying things to me you know, there's a lot which I can really relate to. I can get it, but I'm now on the other side of it. Hmm. Even though I know what it was like to be on that side. And I think, especially something like with mental health, once you've experienced it, it's almost like your eyes have been opened in a way that they can never be closed again. Yeah. And I think that's really, really powerful. Hmm. Um, so, so, yeah, so I completely changed my career. Um, and actually, so what I also did, which ties into kind of after the car accident and with my rehab and things, 
Um, so, so I used to play a lot of hockey. I was always really active, played to a high level. And um, I also loved dancing. Um, so I had done some hip hop, a bit of Bollywood, taken a bit of a break to play hockey again and, you know, had dabbled in a few things. And then after the accident, suddenly, like, as I said, overnight, I couldn't do anything. So I was having, you know, rehab and, and things, but I kind of went, do you know what? Being in the gym and having physio was really boring. That's, you know, I don't enjoy that. I missed, you know, having grown up playing hockey, I've missed being with a team or having a community. So I started going to these kind of sort of dance fitness classes mm. um, and I went to some Zumba classes mm. and just completely fell in love with it because it was like, this is great. I love the music. I can do a bit of dancing. It's not a dance class. You know, I've previously been going to dance classes where it's all about learning the right technique and you're learning a specific routine. It's about getting it right. This wasn't about any of that. It was about come along, enjoy the music, have a bit of a boogie, Mm -hmm. do whatever you can. Um, And I used that as part of my rehab because it was like, well, you know, I've got neck injuries, I've got back injuries, you know, I was, I, you know, had a a very much a lack of flexibility, um, Mm. you know, from obviously from the injuries. So I was like, okay, I can do what I can do, but it's not affecting anyone else. It's not affecting like my hockey team. It's not affecting Mm. performance. And I met some amazing people through that who have become lifelong friends now and that was a really big step for me to kind of get back into the social interaction and community, particularly when, you know, I, I had such low mood. I didn't want to go anywhere, didn't want to see anyone. But at the same time, was also had a lot of anxiety. So getting in the car to go somewhere was really difficult. Um, but that connection, which we know is so important when you're, you know, you're going through these things that's where it came from. Mm. So I kind of went, do you know what? This is really, you know, this is something which is really, really valuable. I want to provide this space for other people, but I also want to encourage people who have long-term conditions like myself or who have disabilities to be able to come along and do exactly what any other person is doing in a kind of regular dance class, mm. but all to be able to do it under one roof without a segregation of this is a class for, you know, a dance class for people with disabilities. Yeah. This is a dance class for people who are able, you know, able-bodied. Yeah. I wanted to bring everyone under one roof and that's what I've done. So I became a blessing. You've just turned <laughs> all of these negatives into like all of these positives. <laughs> such an excellent lesson in turning lemons into lemonade. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Ember Labs, creators of the Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive, and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to an invisible pod, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com, that's E-M-B-R labs.com, 
Enter code INVISIBLE at checkout and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, I I just think, you know, it's about finding a way. We have to find a way Um, because, you know, so often, you know, life with a chronic illness or a disability or, you know, whether you've got mental health issues is difficult enough as it is. Mm. So what can we do to actually make life better? Yeah. And when my students come through the door, you know, whether they're walking through the door, whether they're walking through the door with a roll later or some, you know, a walking stick, whether they're wheeling through the door in their wheelchair, once they get through that door, that's it. We're all there to dance. We don't see chairs. We don't see sticks. We don't see able-bodied. We don't see disabled, nothing. Mm. We're just all people there who love dancing, who love music. You know, we laugh so much. Those you classes, know, the yeah. videos you post look, I mean, it just looks like the most fun. Do you know? Thing, like yeah. just totally inclusive and, and emotionally inclusive as well as physically. Like it's a safe yeah. space. It, yeah, and, and that's the thing, it is a safe space. And I think what's been really key about these classes is, you know, we've created a community where we can be open and honest with each other. Mm. So, you know, for for some of my students, they've never really had contact with people who have, for example, a disability or who are a wheelchair user. Mm. And it's actually opened up a dialogue about that which is great because actually where else can we ask questions? Where else can we get this knowledge, get this understanding? Mm. Because, you know, so often people are worried about offending or, you know, saying the wrong thing. And, you know, and we joke about things. So I'm all, you know, with some of my students, I'm like, okay, can I, you know, I'm really tired now. Can I hitch a ride on the, you know, on the back of your wheelchair? <laughs> and we joke about stuff like that. But yeah. we have you know, we have created that safe space. And it's not just, you know, it's also a safe space for me as mm. well, which is really important. You know, as an instructor, it's my job to give energy, to be happy, to be joyful. Well, when when you're experiencing depression or, you know, when I'm having a flare-up of my colitis and I've been to the toilet 12 times in a day mm. and I'm losing blood, I can't keep any food in and I'm completely exhausted and I'm still turning up you know, for that class, it's not just because, you know, yes, exercise is important. We know that's beneficial, but it's also so I can be with people who get it and I don't have to put, you know, this front on. So, you know, the other week in class, I, I told them, I said, you know, guys, I'm really struggling right now. I'm in the middle of a flare up. I don't feel great. You know, I can't do lots of shaking and shimmying today because that's going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. And the kindness and the care and compassion that they showed me, just, you know, I felt so humbled by it. You've created you know, your own community. We, we have. And, and you know, I, I, feel, I feel privileged to be their instructor, to be their teacher. I really do because I have met some amazing people, wonderful people. Mm. You know, when you look at us, we're such an odd bunch. You know, if you threw us all together, you'd be like, how did that lot come together? <laughs> Those you know? are often the best ones, though, the ones that seem yeah. to be an odd match. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. And, and yet it just works, yeah. you know. 
and we've been to parties together. We have Christmas dinner together. We really we, have a social group because of it. Yeah, we do we do? I mean, and it's what's beautiful is that you're advocating for other people and also for yourself in this setting. Have you found that you needed advocates along the way to finding your way to health as well? Like, did you ever rely upon anyone in your family or friends? When you Definitely. Doctor's appointments. Yeah. Yeah. So so. Um, uh, certainly my family mm. so obviously my parents my sisters so uh as as some of your listeners uh will know if they've listened to Trishna's uh podcast so um I have two sisters both of who have multiple sclerosis yeah so you know there's all three of us who have somehow had to navigate the healthcare system mm. um so as a family you know that has been something I think that we've all learned together kind of along the way of how to you know navigate the healthcare system I'm also very lucky that I have quite a few friends good friends who are doctors or who work in the healthcare system so that's been you know really helpful yeah um but I think as well, I think it's also a choice as to how much, I suppose, interest you want to take and how much knowledge um, and how active you want to be in your care. So, you know, I, I do my own research. I see what's out there. I see what other people are saying, what are their experiences. Um, you know, I read guidelines when they come through and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because for me, at the end of the day, you know, this is my body. And yeah, you know, that's the, that's really the through line with you and Trishna is that you've both become students of your own advocacy. So even though you've relied on your family and, and friends, you've also turned yourself into educated patients and then are sharing that with others as well, which is just amazing. It's something in the way your parents raised you guys. It <laughs> <laughs> goes to them. Thanks, mom and dad. <laughs> You know, it, it really is. And I think it comes down to, you know, the way that we see it is, is knowledge is power. Yeah. And, and, and it's not actually just power. It's about empowering yourself mm. and empowering others. Yeah. And I think that's what's really key because, mm. you know, uh, I, again, I'm very lucky that, you know, uh, now the decisions I make with my, with my healthcare team, they're joint decisions. Yeah. It's not just a case of a doctor saying to me, you do this and yeah. I just really follow now. Which You're an active impacts. participant in your care. Yeah. And that has changed over time. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I think back in 2008, you know, that wasn't the case. Of course, you didn't know. It, well, exactly. Yeah. And even the same in terms of with my mental health issues, you know, again, it was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do this. And I'll, okay, well, that hasn't worked. Okay, well, I'll just try it again, because that's what I was told to do. And, you know, and again, even then, that took time to understand and time to research, because it's, it's something completely different. Yeah. Um, I think also with something like EMDR in particular, people hear about it and they're like, um, so you're telling me that this is going to cure me because yeah. I move my eyes back and forth. Like it's, unless you understand the science of it, you kind of go like, what are you talking about? Yeah. But when you understand, as you had so beautifully explained, the connection between both sides of the brain and how you're really reprogramming the way in which you process these traumas, it's a breakthrough uh, treatment really for a lot of people for that reason. But of course, the first time you hear about it, you're like, uh-huh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually, you said that really nicely. It's a breakthrough. Mm. It, it really actually was for me because when, when the therapy was explained to me and um, how it works and why it works and why sort of 
why I'm getting the symptoms is because the memory is stuck. Yeah. That for me was a breakthrough in that, you know, after, what was it, you know, four years, the reason I was experiencing these symptoms wasn't my fault. It wasn't a deficit in my personality. It wasn't because I wasn't trying at my therapy, you know, and even my therapist said, God, you work so hard at your therapy. Mm. You know, I've never known anyone to work so hard. And I was like, because I want, you know, I want to get better. And, and there I am four years down the line and I'm not better. And I'm thinking, well, it's got to be because I'm not doing it right or I'm not good enough or there's something wrong with me. Mm. And actually, that was a huge breakthrough when it was explained to me, well, actually, this is why you're experiencing these symptoms and this is why your therapy so far actually hasn't changed what triggers you. Mm. You know, I, I literally, I walked away and again, I remember you know, crying because I just thought it's not my fault. I had spent those years blaming myself for what I was experiencing. And I think once you remove that guilt, you're also able to participate in your healing in a new way, aren't you? Like you're able to really go, okay, I don't have to take responsibility for getting sick, but I can take responsibility for healing. And it gives you more permission to do that more actively. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I think that was, you know, for me, that was really key yeah. to be able to have faith in the process mm. of, okay, this is what my brain needs to do. I need to go through this and see what happens. But whatever happens, whether it works or it doesn't, it's not my fault. And that was actually really, I think, key for me in terms of um, actually putting less pressure on myself. I think I've been putting so much pressure on myself because no, it affected everything in my life. Well, because you wanted to achieve, (laughs) right? Obviously, you're an achiever, you know, so you really (laughs) wanted to do well at this too. And it's sort of releasing that need to be so perfect about it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, And I think, uh, and I think that's one of the things is is when we're so hard on ourselves and and just wanting, you know, it came down, I just wanted to get better. I didn't want to have to live my life that way anymore. And, you know, the way I was living my life, you know, with a constant anxiety, with fluctuating moods, you know, with these triggers, yeah. that became my new normal. I couldn't remember what it was. I literally couldn't remember what it was like before my accident. Yeah. And I started experiencing these things. I couldn't remember what it felt like. I could think back to things, but I couldn't remember those feelings anymore. You know, and I was completely lost in it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm able to, you know, talk about it, you know, very openly now. Um, I think because I've come through it, because I've come to accept what I went through, because, again, there was a period, you know, even after I kind of went through the therapy where I knew I wasn't really ready to talk about it. Yeah. And and, and I knew that that was okay. Um. Mm-hmm. But I had to go through that process of ex- almost kind of grief and acceptance and everything that actually went with it to be able to say, Do you know, I have come out the other side. You know, yes, I still experience, you know, anxiety or yes, I still have periods of, of low mood, but I know they will pass. Yeah. And I know it, 
yeah and i know you know it won't ever be as bad as 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 what it was during that time and even if it does there is help there well it sounds like you also really embraced community as part of your healing too through your zumba teaching and and your journey to finding those classes you know so key to defeating depression, anxiety, PTSD, all these forms of mental illness is not isolating oneself either. Um, And you made a conscious effort to stay out of isolation, which has obviously helped you as well. Yeah. And I think that was actually one of, probably one of the biggest reasons for why I did it as well, because I did become isolated. Hmm. It's really hard when, when, like I said, you have depression where you know you have no motivation you're exhausted you don't want to see anyone and I literally remember feeling you know like I wanted to close my bedroom door and shut the whole world out you know that's how I felt um but at the same time also that feeling of but I really want to see you know like I really want to see my friends Mm. but also feeling that guilt around yeah, but if I see my friends, am I just going to make them more miserable because I can't be happy right now? I'm finding it really hard. And then, you know, you put on that front and putting on that front of, oh, I'm okay. And, mm-hmm. and you know, oh, let's have some fun, even though you're not feeling it inside. That takes an awful lot of energy. Gosh, yeah. So then you think, you know, well, is it worth it? Am I better off just shutting the door and, and, and not putting myself through that? Mm. And that's really hard because that's a constant battle that very often people with depression have. Yeah. And actually what, what my classes forced me to do was no matter how I'm feeling, I have to be there because if I'm not there, there's no one to teach them. Yeah. And, and, and that having that responsibility, I think, for me was really key because it made me do it even if I didn't want to. And yes, it was exhausting. You do put on that front, you know, you, I don't want to turn up to my class and I'm bawling my eyes out, you know. Yeah. And, you know, um, but, but that was, you know, that was really key. And I think that's what I say to my students as well. You know, this is your safe space. Even if this is the only hour you get in a week where you're not, a husband or a wife or a mum or a dad or a carer or you know whatever your own issues are this is your time just to be free mm. you know and I have had students come to me and talk to me about personal issues you know whether it's mental health whether it's you know um, health issues mm. because again that space has been created yeah. to allow them to do that and I think that is is what is really key I mean, speaking of, you know, sharing and exhaustion and everything, though, how are you balancing the demands of work and life with (laughs) these, you know, with ulcerative colitis and with your teaching, which you do in addition to your full time work? You know, what's a typical day like? I mean, say you're having a flare up. (laughs) How are you managing the day? Yeah, it's it's really tough. Um, And I think. I think something I've realized is that, you know, even when I feel like I'm at my lowest and I'm exhausted and I feel like I'm actually, maybe I'm at my weakest, Mm. actually when I'm at my strongest, because I'm still going, Mm. you know, and when I say I'm still going, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm just doing whatever I need to do. I mean, I haven't given up. Yeah. Um, You know, that's so key has been your attitude in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've realized I do have a huge amount of resilience. Mm. Um, that was completely knocked out of me after the accident. You know, when I look back, I realize, you know, 
cumulatively being diagnosed with ulcerative colitis um, in the same year that I started experiencing my symptoms. Um, Trishna, my, my, my first sister, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I was made redundant from my job. I started a new job. Trishna started her first lot of medication, so she had a huge amount of side effects. I was still trying to manage my health, but not really taking care of myself. Mm. Then over the years, you know, other bits and pieces happened. So I think cumulatively, there were a lot of things that happened where I realized actually my resilience and used a lot of it up. Yeah. And it's taken a long time to build it back up. Mm. Um, but kind of coming back to your, your original question around kind of managing a day, mm. um, it, it's it's really hard. It's tough. You know, I do get home and I'm exhausted. Um, but also it's that balance of what do I get? So, you know, mm. work is really important. We know for kind of you know, independence, self-worth, financial reasons, you know, that's really important. Um, having reasonable adjustments is is key. So, um, for example, in the UK, we have the Equality Act, which um, is essentially protective legislation against discrimination mm. uh, against multiple characteristics, one of which is disability. Mm. Um, so the definition of disability in the law is slightly different to probably what most people would consider disability to be kind of, you know, out on the street. Um, but my condition, for example, and how it affects me would be covered under the Equality Act. Mm. So, you know, an employer considering reasonable adjustments. So, for example, that could be um, a change to um, the, my start time and finish time. For mm. example, you know, if I'm having a flare up, could I come into work slightly later? So I'm not having to travel during rush hour and be stuck mm-hmm. in the that comes up quite often when it comes to accommodation yeah yeah so you know reducing the amount of time where I don't have access to a toilet Mm -hmm. or for example flexible working so to be able to work from home Mm. um so I think you know that that can be that's a a really key element I think for many people Mm. with chronic illness or disability is around reasonable adjustments with their employer yeah um Again, practical things. So, for example, when I'm having a flare-up, how I manage my meals is very different. So, you know, normally I'll eat kind of three meals a day, eat whatever I want generally, other than things that I know that for me personally don't agree with me. Um, you know, when I'm having a flare-up, I tend to have to reduce the amount of eat I'm eating. I change what I eat um, as well. Uh, I make sure that certain things I have, which are high calorie to give me energy before going to teach my, my, you know, dance class. Right. Um, If I can between work and my class, I'll try to power down for maybe 10, 15 minutes. Mm. You know, even if it's not sleeping, just allowing the body to just completely relax, come down, kind of take a bit of sort of meditation time yeah whether um, it's meditation sometimes I listen to music sometimes I actually just need complete silence mm. just to allow that kind of peace in my body because you know I think for me I tend to get through a lot on adrenaline mm. you know, when I'm when I'm doing my day I can get through on adrenaline and then it hits me so yeah. you know a lot of people don't actually see the consequence of it so I yeah. get home and I literally collapse, you know, yeah. my body then screams at me and says, no more, no more. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are know, you okay living like that though? Like, do you, are you happy coming home and collapsing every day? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
some days yes mm. you know so on the days when I teach my classes I'm aware you know at the moment with my current work and the days that I teach I'm aware that that's what happens mm. um and it's tough I find those days really tough but yeah. for me what I get from doing these classes being part of that community is Greater. so much that actually for me that that's there is so much physical exhaustion because you get the all payback yeah absolutely but then what I try to do for example is you know my classes are mainly at the beginning of the week so then what I try to do is make sure that then towards the end of the week I have my evenings free so I can come home I can rest I can you know watch a bit of tv or Netflix or you know whatever yeah Uh, so I I it's, it's actually taken quite a long time for me to work out how to pace myself right. because what was happening was I would literally, you know, on a good day, I'd try and get everything done and then I would completely crash. Mm. So I was constantly having these peaks and troughs. So, you know, every now and then that could still happen. But I think I've had to slowly find out what's my new normal yeah. and then what works for me and how can I manage these things. Yeah. Um, you know, some weeks it all works to plan and it's great. Mm. Other weeks it doesn't because also, you know, with these conditions, sometimes you wake up and you just never know how you're going to feel. So, you know, I haven't always suffered with fatigue with my colitis. That's something that, you know, I've actually only suffered with probably for around three years, even though I've had colitis for, for 11 um, so that for me was actually a very new symptom that suddenly I was having to navigate and understand and find my way around. So it's been through experimentation that I've had to find what works for me. And as I said, some weeks it's great and it, it works and other weeks it just doesn't. You know? just, you're constantly learning from it, though, it sounds like. Yeah. And sometimes you just never know. So, you know, you have to make a decision. Do I go out or do I not go out? you have to balance that out and you make a decision and it at at that point in time it might be the right decision it might be the wrong decision next week you could make exactly the same decision and you know one week it might be the right decision the next week it might be the wrong decision Mm. and I think that's the thing is when when you live with these conditions there is a constant unknown Mm. um you know you you just don't ever really know and you you kind of have to get used to living with that uncertainty which in itself actually is a huge thing to kind of get your head around. Um, But again, it's, you know, what I don't want is for my condition to prevent me from doing things. I might have to find another way to do it. Mm. So for example, you know, I went traveling in South America for five months. Well, I kind of went, okay, what if I have a flare up while I'm out there? Yeah. what are the things that I need to do? You know, I was there carrying five months worth of medication with me, you know, I mean, in South America, the number of times I got stopped and checked and searched and, you know, the looking at all my medication, all those kinds of things. But I just went, well, you know what, just because I've got this condition doesn't mean I shouldn't do it. Yes. There were things that I needed to put in place and I had to find other ways to do certain things, but I was like, no, I'm going to do it, Mm. you know, and I think that's the thing that you you sort of learn when you have, you know, any one of these conditions is that, you know, it doesn't have to stop you. Sometimes it's just about finding a different way. Yeah, absolutely. And that for me is, I think, 
I, I, for me, that's a, a kind of a life lesson. Yeah, it really is. Well, Anisha, we've learned so much from you today and, and you've got such wonderful advice for people in the chronic illness community, be they on the mental health spectrum or physical health or otherwise. Can you give us your top three tips for someone who maybe is entering this chronic invisible illness world who feels they may have something off or, you know, are dealing with mental health or physical health issues? What would you recommend for these people? Um, So I think uh, first of all would be to uh, ensure you have a support network in place. Mm -hmm. I think that's really key. So family and friends, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have got through, you know, what I've got through if it wasn't for my family and friends, they've been, you know, a huge support network for me and they continue to be as well. You know, having that understanding, uh, for me is really important. I don't need people to make things better for me or to give me sympathy, just understand, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and I think that in itself, having a support network, um, can really make a difference. I think when 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 you're sort of trying to navigate and, and understand what's going on, mm. um, I would say the second thing is do your research. Mm. Beware of Doctor Google. You know, <laughs> that's you know, I, I think that is important to say. So mm. do your research, but make sure that it's from reputable sources. So reputable websites speak to healthcare professionals um find out if there are charities mm. which um you know specialize in in your condition yeah that's well. a great way to find reputable sources of information absolutely because the more we know you know as i said it before you know the more control we have around you know our own pathway you know we can engage in our healthcare rather than almost being at the mercy of so I think you know doing your research taking an interest is is really important but do make sure it's from from reputable um you know uh places yeah and I would say the third thing is keep doing the things that you love Mm. try not to lose the person that that you were so Mm. yes there is something which will change life may change you're still who you are you may be a different version but you know I still love you know although I'm not playing hockey anymore I still love going to watch my dad play hockey for example Mm. or going to watch matches I still love you know I love dancing before my colitis before my accident I still love dancing but I might just be having to do it in a different way Mm. I still love eating cake and I love eating ice cream I may not be able to eat the volumes anymore you know that I used to but I still do that those things are still important to me so so hang on to those things you might have to find different ways of doing whatever it is that you love doing but keep doing those because quite often they're the first things to go when we're not well or we're struggling, whether it's mental or physical health. Um, but keep doing that because that will still give you so much. Yeah. And also help you to not lose who you once were. We're yeah. always evolving, but the good things you can keep with you. Well, speaking of hanging on to the good things, what are your top three things that give you total joy be they be they cheats like ice cream and cake 
or um, or guilty pleasures or secret indulgences or even comfort activities, like if you're having a flare up, what are your top three joyful things in your life that you turn to? Um, okay, so anyone who knows me, my friends and family will know that I love ice cream. <laughs> I really love ice cream. So one of the best things when I was in Brazil Mm. was that when you went to, um, so they have uh, restaurants and also dessert parlors, ice cream parlors, where you don't actually have to pay per scoop, like per flavor. Mm. You pay by weight. So you can go in, have all the flavors under the sun, and (laughs) pay for the weight of what it comes to Mm. so I remember I went into one uh one parlor in Brazil and I think I had like 10 flavors (laughs) I didn't have a I didn't have a scoop of each Mm. it was you know a small amount of of each one yeah but I was like this is brilliant we need to do this in the UK this should be worldwide yeah having to be restricted I'm like there's just so many flavors I want to try (laughs) um so ice cream for me you know in terms of food there's, I, I love it. You know, yeah. I really do love it. So that for me would, would be one of my kind of top joys. Mm. Um, what would my others be? So I think dancing yeah. has to be, you know, it has to be up there, whether that's dancing, you know, in the living room, in my bedroom where the neighbours are wondering what on earth I'm doing, <laughs> you know, dancing around my bedroom like a lunatic, um, you know, or with my friends, with my family. Um, you know, you're a dancing family for sure. Well, yeah. And I think that's the thing is the music and the movement, you know, and community. Yeah. And the community as well. So, you know, one of the things I love is, you know, when we go to family occasions and, you know, I'm on the dance floor and my mum and dad are there too, or my aunts and uncles, or, you know, I mean, my mum comes to my dance classes or I get to dance with her every week. Yeah. If you guys follow Anisha, you'll see their photos with Trisha, with their mum. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny because whenever so anything is posted <laughs> with my mum in there, mm. like everyone is always commenting. Like they don't say, Oh yeah, you look great. They're like, Your mum is brilliant. And we're <laughs> just like, Yeah, okay, yeah, we know she is. But actually <laughs> Um, so so I think dancing has to be up there. It just yeah. you know, it makes me feel alive, it makes me feel music, it gives me an opportunity to lose myself in that moment. So when especially, you know, you're in pain. Yeah. Or, you know, when your mood is really low, music is so powerful. Yeah. Um, and that for me is, you know, just, I, I don't know what I would do without without music mm. and being able to dance. So um, I think, yeah, that would be my number two, in no particular order, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, um, and my number three, what would my number three be? <laughs> You know, the problem is there's so many, it's really hard to pick. Oh, well, that's a good problem. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I'm like, so obviously like friends and family have to be up there, of course. I think that kind of goes without saying. But um, I think one thing for me is I I, I love traveling. Mm. And that for me is around, and it's not about traveling to just see sights. For me, traveling is that opportunity to meet new people and have new experiences, mm. get to understand different things in the world. 
Yeah. Um, and I've been really lucky. You know, I have done traveling. So I spent time in, in South America. That was great because it gave me an opportunity to also meet people with other chronic illness, understand, you know, what is it like living in, you know, other countries with the healthcare systems, with disability, um, you know, kind of the legal elements, is there mm. protection, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I've also spent time traveling. So I've, you know, visited Kenya and India and Europe and, um, you know, part, other parts of Asia. There's just so, I just think there's so much diversity and richness in the world hmm. that, you know, I always love meeting new people and experiencing different things. And, you know, that can be pretty tough, for example, like when I'm having a colitis flare, you know, that can be really hard. Um, but that for me makes me feel alive, you know, when I'm in, you know, when I'm in a new place and I don't know what's going on. I don't know where I'm going. I've turned up with a backpack or a suitcase and, um, you know, who knows what the experiences are going to hold and who I'm going to meet. And, you know, I've met, made some amazing friends that way, Mm. you know, who I've met throughout the world, who I'm still in touch with. And, and that for me just shows actually, you know, there is so much goodness in the world. There are so many good people. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, I think, you know, traveling is definitely up there for me. You know, my friends are always saying, oh, when are you going to plan your next trip? I'm like, oh, when I have more money. You know? <laughs> <laughs> also, there are ways to plan trips because travel is so full of variables for people like us who need certain things, certain comforts. Yes. You know, there are ways to accommodate for your needs and anticipate potential you know, hiccups in the road. So I'm sure when you're traveling, you're aware of those things too. Like, okay, I've got to bring certain meal replacement things if I can't get food I need, or I need to make sure I prioritize rest on the road or, you know, so there are ways to do that for sure. Definitely. And I think that that is the key thing is that, you know, whatever you want to do, find a way to do it. It may not be how you imagined it, yeah. you know, before whatever it is you might have had or you've gone through, but there's still the possibility. And I think, and I suppose that that's what traveling for me is. It's, it's all those possibilities, mm. you know, because actually it, it, we, we don't know. Mm. And, and, and that for me is really, you know, when it comes to travel, that for me is really exciting other than when I don't know where the toilet is and I'm in the middle of having a flare up, you know, right. that I need to know, you know, right. that's Important. But it's um, like you were just telling me before the interview that like you know you're going on a train because you're traveling. So when you get on the train, the first thing you're going to do is clock where the toilets are, yeah, in relation to where you're sitting. Yes, you know, yeah. So it's just an awareness factor, definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. And and uh, and and that's the thing, you know. And that priority would be slightly different depending on. So if I'm in a, you know, having a flare absolutely that is the first thing I'm, I'm going to make sure I know but I'm not in a flare you know I might settle down and you know sort my snacks out and you know all that kind of thing and then eventually get around to it whereas no if I'm in a flare that has to be the top priority yeah so you know it, it, it is very much just around adapting to what you know what you need yeah um, but yeah so travel I love travel so if anyone out there wants to invite me to you know Uh, speak somewhere or you know anything like that you know which is exotic and I get to travel you know I'd be more than than happy to have a conversation and where can listeners find you so that they can get in touch with you 
So you'll find me on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So my handle is at Zumba with Anisha. And you can find me, obviously, uh, on any of those channels. And then, obviously, also through the podcast as well. So so anyone, if anyone wants to connect or you want to see any of the videos of us dancing, yeah. if you're in the UK, if anyone's visiting in the UK and thinks they want to swing by a class, then, you know, all, more the merrier. Everyone is welcome. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's just about getting everyone involved. That's wonderful. Well, Anisha, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you again. And I look forward to meeting you guys when I'm in the UK and hopefully coming to a class. And um, thank you so much for taking the time and, and sharing your story with us. It's been my pleasure. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.